You are listening to a Raw Collective podcast. Hello and welcome to What Matters Most, a podcast hosted by me, Antonia Preble, and my good friend, Jackie Maguire, who also happens to be a clinical psychologist. Together, we will explore everyday issues that make up the moral and cultural climate of our era, issues that have a real impact on how we experience and feel about our lives. I hope you get as much out of them as we do. Hello, everybody, and welcome to today's episode of What Matters Most. Hi, Jackie. Good afternoon, Antonia. Good afternoon. Well, can I first say, it is just so lovely to be sitting, in fact, across a table from you having this conversation when most of the time, due to childcare and other family commitments, we record these episodes at nine o'clock at night. So it is great to see you in person. We're here, we're in person, we're not in our pyjamas, which often I record these in my dressing gown. So yes, it's lovely to be here with you in the flesh. It really is. So uh, as some of you may know, Jackie and I, we are friends in real life. And we met when both our uh, first children were really little at a mother's group. And this was a wonderful opportunity to make new friends because we were introduced to a group of people who were going through a similar life stage, a similar really big event to us. So we, so we had a lot in common. It's the same, isn't it? Whether you're university students in a hostel, whether your mother's in a new mother's group, whether you're part of a sports team that travels the world. Like if you're in an intense situation with someone, bonding can form very quickly. It really does. And so, I, I mean, I feel so grateful for, you know, my friendship with you and my relationship with all the women in that group. But I think the fact that we hardly actually ever get to see each other in real life because of family and work and other commitments feeds quite well into what we wanted to talk about today. Because while there are some situations, such as our mother's group, where you have opportunities to make friends as adults, there aren't very many situations where you can easily make friends as grown-ups. And research tells us that we are in the loneliest time in history. More people than ever are lonely, so it's even more important to make friends. But we live in a world that it's really hard to do that, don't we, Jackie? Well, well, I think take hybrid working, take, you know, how many people move geographically across the world. So you you leave your hub, you leave where you grew up. And so even for us, we're good friends, but you live in Auckland and I live in Wellington. And so logistically, you're not popping down the road for your cup of tea every day or every few days, which if you look back in time, that's probably how our grandparents connected with their friends on a regular basis. So I think you take modern day living alongside the pressures of life in 2023. You can see the barriers to making friendships, but as you say, that by no means diminishes the importance of it. Absolutely not. So today we are going to be talking about how to make friends as adults. Jackie is going to be giving us uh, her wisdom as usual. Uh, You may notice in this episode, it doesn't sound exactly like we normally sound. Basically, we just had a few technical difficulties and we apologize for that, but we hope uh, you find it doesn't take away from the content that we will be about to deliver. Yeah, the, no, the content is good. Put up with if it's a slight tinny compared to the normal pure sound quality, but hopefully not too much a distraction. I'm going to be really honest with everyone that I have a selfish viewpoint to this uh, 
topic. I moved in the last few years. I came back to Wellington. I moved to live by my family with my girls. And I had this idea in my head that I was coming home, in inverted commas, and that I would find it easy. I had kids now. It's a small community that I'd just be able to like slide on back in and, and really form good friendships. And my personal self-reflection has been, it's been really hard to do that. Two years in, I've, I've made a handful of friends and a couple that I would call in comfort. And that got me thinking. It got me reflecting about friendships as adults. It got me researching around why is this so important? Because I think for all of us, we can know that feeling of feeling lonely or being surrounded by people but not being connected to people. So I don't feel mm. like I quite belong yet. And why is that so important? And why do we find it so damn hard as mm. adults? And as you say, Antonio, I think, you know, some of us would have had it easy as children. There'll be people out there that really had it tough at school. And, and I think that's just a, a mixed model for all of us that we've all had different experiences. But there is something about our adulthood, I think, that is a different kettle of fish. Mm. We suddenly feel so much more vulnerable and self-conscious about making friends with people, don't we? Like I take Freddie, who's three, to the park. And on the way to the park, he says to me, I'm I'm going to make some friends in the park. And sure enough, we meet some kids in the park and he goes up to them and he says, hi, I'm Freddie. Do you want to be friends with me? And most of the time they say yes. <laughs> and then most of the time. God damn those kids that don't. God damn those kids that don't. But, you know, fair enough. They're just making some boundaries, which is fair enough. But, you know, I watch him and it is just this really straightforward transaction on both their behalves. And it's really beautiful to watch. But, of course, as we grow up and socialize and become more self-conscious and have more and more baggage and anxieties and insecurities, it's really hard to do that. And, I mean, I don't know many people who feel really good about turning up at a party where they don't know anybody and, you know, loving that experience of just having all this opportunity for friendship in front of them. Like most of us find that Put really hard. The corner. hard. Yeah. So, Jackie, why is it so hard to make friends as an adult when we know it's so important, when it means so much to us? Why have we put so much in the way? It's a complex picture, isn't it? So one, I think as we get older, life gets busier. As you say, there are more facets that we have to adult, we have to own. So if you think back to childhood or university days, and if you look at the science, we've got like our peak relationship, friendship realm when we're really in our 20s, the early to mid-20s. So you think of, you know, coming through high school, going to university where what are you responsible for? You're responsible for yourself, your study or your job. For most people, there are, of course, are outliers to that. But, you know, if you think about the typical activities that you're doing at that age, you have a lot of mental, emotional capacity for relationships and relationships take energy, they take time. And so I think as you get older and you then think about, you know, people form life partnerships where they probably prioritise those out of all relationships and, and they take work. So after a day's work, when you're then prioritising your relationships and add children or caregiving on top of that, I think if you look up front, lack of capacity is one reason that friendships get pushed to the side. And that's more the case for men than women. So as you look through, you know, 40s and 50s, men really struggle. They lose their relationships or, or they don't prioritise their friendships as much as women. And so actually, if you look a decade ago and you compare people a decade ago to now, 
we're four to five times more likely to not have a single companion now compared to what we were 10 years ago. And it's just profoundly sad how we are living, I think, in a loneliness epidemic. You know, people's connections or, or lack of is very prevalent. And so, you know, you, one, you look through the busyness lens and perhaps friendships getting pushed aside. Two, I think as we get older, our self-view or how critical we are of ourselves increases. Mm. And so, again, when you look at the science, people are less likely to continue to put themselves out there or less likely to believe that they can make good friendships if they don't believe in themselves. And so you can look at data when people have kind of rated, say they've been in an experiment set up and they're rating how other people viewed them. They'll have a much more harsh critic about themselves that less people liked them than actually did. And so, you know, I think as we kind of get harsher with ourselves, perhaps we're less likely to be more vulnerable with others. We're less likely to believe that other people want to be our friends. And that becomes a self-defeating prophecy, doesn't it? Or it's a chicken and egg situation. If I don't believe I can have more friends, I'm less likely to put myself out there. I'm less likely actually to form those friendships. And then thirdly, when we get lonely, we get more negative. As people experience loneliness, their thinking shifts, their thinking changes. And that means we're more likely to look upon other people as a not quite right fit for us, or I don't think that's a good enough click, or I'm out there to search for the perfect friend, and if I don't find the perfect friend, I'm not wasting my effort. So again, if you look at that shift in mindset that might happen as people get more lonely, again, it's much harder to form good friendships when you're challenging yourself with that barrier. So, you know, there's a complex picture, I think, about perhaps why friendships get harder to make. Or if you flip that round, actually, as we get older, we just need to make more purposeful effort. They absolutely can be made. You can make good friendships anywhere with almost anyone, the research shows, but you have to put yourself out there. You have to be prepared to make the effort. I want to talk about so many things <laughs> that you just said there. I read an interesting fact about loneliness, which you just sort of illustrated in a, a different way about how we become more negative when we're lonely. And I found this so interesting. It's So it's because obviously we are still biologically wired to be tribal beings. And mm-hmm. if we find ourselves on our own, i.e. being lonely, then we our system thinks we've been ostracized and therefore might literally die, you know, in tribal mm-hmm. settings. So our system's on high alert all the time and mm-hmm. we become really spiky and defensive. And so we are mm-hmm. automatically looking for the barbs to be coming at us and looking at people like they are foes as opposed to friends mm-hmm. because we're in survival mode. And again, this is just how we're wired, but as is so often with those evolutionary traits, they unfortunately just don't really work in a modern world when we live isolated from each other. Absolutely. Just following you up on that. Belonging is a core human need, more so than many other public health factors that we hear about. So, for you know, as you're saying, if you feel lonely, it has a real physical and mental impact on you. And so if you look at the research, being isolated and lonely, and lonely is the feeling that's important. Actually, if you're on your own and you feel okay, it's not as big as impact as being surrounded by people and feeling lonely. 
that feeling of loneliness has worse health impacts on us than smoking 15 cigarettes a day. It's got worse health impacts than obesity. It has significant links to anxiety and, and depression, for example. When you are lonely, you, your body physically feels in pain because you need to be connected to live, to survive, to thrive. So I think it is really important that we look through this lens of they're not just nice to have. Actually, if we're going to live a good life, relationships are key. They're a core human component to us. And I think it's beautifully illustrated in a Harvard study, Harvard Longitudinal Study, that started in the 1930s. And because it started in the 1930s, the entire population sample was men because it was the 1930s when they started the study. But as, as they went on, as they went on, they added women. But if you look at the single factor or the highest contributing factor to long life, it was relationships more than any other health benefit. So to live a good life, to live a long life, you need people. You need people. And yet so often it's friendships and meeting up with friends on a daily, weekly basis is the thing that goes, isn't it? Because it's professional commitments and then it's domestic family commitments that do just, holy God, suck up so much of your time that it's, it is really difficult to prioritize seeing your friends. And to be honest, to me, sometimes seems like a luxury. You know, I feel like I'm doing something that's non-essential when I'm seeing a friend or like, I never think it's wasting time when I'm seeing a friend, but I often have this voice in the back of my head that's like, oh, I should be doing selfish. Yeah. I should be doing something else with my time instead of seeing this person because we're just, I don't know, going for a walk. Having coffee. Yeah. Having a coffee. And it sort of seems in isolation, not as important as all the other important things I've got to do, you know, whatever they might be. But what you're saying is that's absolutely the wrong lens to look at it through. And in fact, it is the most important thing we could be doing with our time in order to have any kind of fulfillment or happiness in life. Yeah. But look through it through any lens. You want people to be productive at work. They need good relationships in the workplace. You want to be a happy mom and a loving partner. You need to be in a good mental health space. Your friendships are important. So it's like no matter what lens you look through, be it a productivity perspective, be it a general well-being perspective, be it a good family member, your friendships are really key to enabling you to do that. So is there any research on how many friends one needs in life? Well, I think that's old research. I think okay. they used to, you know, there are so many sayings, isn't there? If you can count five good friends on one hand, you're rich. You know, I remember growing yeah. up to that saying. And the answer is no, it's all about your perception. And that will be different for us all. So what is critically important is that you feel like you have enough friends. And if you feel like you belong, if you feel like your cup is full from a friendship perspective, then that's what's important. And is it about the number or the depth of the friendships? Because I'm just thinking back to my own experience and I feel like the times when I've felt loneliest is is actually, I think, when I I haven't felt like I'm connecting to my friends on a deep Mm. level. And I, I guess what I mean by that is having friendships that when I feel seen, heard and understood and there's an intimacy, an emotional intimacy that's there. Is that something that makes me feel really safe? And when it's not there or when I perceive it's not there for whatever reason, that's when I have historically felt the most lonely. Is that a common feeling? When you look at the process of making a friendship, being able to be real, 
the psychological literature would say being intimate or vulnerable and that catches people because people think intimacy is just related to sex or intimacy is related to romantic relationships but Mm. intimacy is you see me I can be me with you and so just as you're saying that ability to be real is how I would label it it is really important in friendship you know the other side to that picture Antonia is I think if you're surrounded by acquaintances that don't have depth that can feel hugely lonely I think of myself, you know, moving back to my old hometown and I can walk down the street and say hello to everybody. I know a lot of people. I know people by name, people will smile and they'll have small talk. But if nothing follows that, then that I think is a really lonely place to be of, yep, small talk and chatter is better than than no interaction, but it definitely doesn't equate to the depths of connection that give you wellbeing benefits. We all crave connection, right? Like that's what it boils down to, it seems. We want connections and we want deep ones. And unfortunately, a lot of the time in many and multifaceted ways, we are connecting pretty superficially with the world, with each other and with ourselves as we're distracted yeah. by you know everything all the time. So then I guess we need to know how we, how can we make friends then? What, yeah. what, what are the things we can do to create relationships that go beyond acquaintances and make us feel connected and seen, heard and understood? So I think the first component of that is frequency. So if you like cast your mind back, the reason you probably made friends at school or in your uni days or your early jobs is because you saw people all the time. And you might look at your school friends and go, they aren't necessarily just like me. We might have come from really different backgrounds. We might have very different personalities but we had very strong bonding friendships. And part of that probably was you had the opportunity to build a friendship because you saw each other so frequently. And so consistency is really important. You know, when you often hear this topic come up, you see quite glib recommendations like get yourself down to a book club or make sure you join a sports group or, you know, children are wonderful because you'll make friends purely for the fact that you've got kids together. And actually when you look through the lines of all of those, the first component that you're seeing there is go somewhere where you see the same people consistently and you've got a repeated exposure to each other where you can start to have conversations. Research says you need seven to eight conversations with someone to start forming a friendship. And so if you go to lots of random different things and and just say you're going to the gym, but you don't go to a gym class and every time you hop on that treadmill, there might be a different person next to you. You might be going to the same gym all the time, but you are very unlikely to make friends. You know, you start going to the 6am RPM class every day and you probably see the same group of people all the time. And so you're more likely to strike up a conversation in that setting than going somewhere where it's pick of the mill of who's going to be next to you. So consistency is really important. And, you know, that can be terrifying for some people. I've moved somewhere new or I want to start making friends. How am I supposed to just show up to some new sports club or book group or mum's group, you know, when I don't know anyone. And I think you just have to back yourself that it's the Nike to just do it saying, choose something that interests you and commit yourself to it for at least ideally six months of going continuously where you can start to see the same people. Then I think it's scouting that group of people and going who's warm and who's friendly because you have to be savvy, I think, about where you try and invest your time and energy. And the research does say literally you could probably make friends with anyone as long as they are warm. 
But I think you would find in a group that there are some people that are more likely or more willing to give back to you if you are attempting to start conversation or if you're trying to connect with someone. So scout for those people that are warm and open. Because Antonia, this is a conversation we've had of some people already have full capacity. So they might be really nice people, but they don't need new friends. Like, like they're full up. <laughs> yeah, we have talked about a bit about this in the past. And it is a good point to bring up because, I mean, what if you're on, because we all want to be like good people in the world, right? Like we want to be generous to people and to help out where we can. And I don't, I don't mean like you're going to be friends with someone to help out. But if you see someone who's looking, well, who seems like they want to be friends with you and you you're like, oh my God, I just don't have any room in my life to be friends with you. Like, what What do you do if you're on the other well, side you're of probably, You're probably not even consciously thinking that, right? So yeah. good people. And I, I believe at the core of me that most people are good people mm-hmm. and that no one gets out of bed in the morning trying to hurt anyone else. And so, you know, I imagine being at book club or been down at mainly music. That's where I've met every single one of my mum friends is <laughs> being at mainly music. And... You know, it may be that you see, yeah, shout out. This is non-paid advertising. Um, You know, you may see someone new and you strike up a conversation, but if that's not where your headspace is at, if your headspace is not at a, in a making friends zone, then you're probably less conscious to follow up or, you know, really invest in the conversation. You probably come from a warm place of saying hello, making them feel welcome and moving on. I think there will be people out there and there are many people out there who are on the hunt for friends and they may be the people that invest more and continually try and make effort. And so I don't think it means that, you know, if people have got friends, they're a closed book. But I do think if you really are on that forging pathway of friendship, you may have luck with other people that are on a similar quest to you. And if someone does not pick up and take further your advancement of friendship, you shouldn't take it personally, really. It just means that person has a full cup at the moment. Yeah. 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 I don't think take it personally, but I also would say we all have limited amount of resource and I mean your energy being resource. And so you have to be wise about where you place that too. And so if you like someone, and I kind of almost think about making new friends as dating, you know, you're out there trying to date new friends, yeah. right? You meet someone, you like them. Because the next step is, you know, once you've had that consistency, do you try and take that friendship out of where you've met them? So do you then invite them for coffee or a game of tennis or going for a walk? It's like I've met you in this specific space for so long. We've had our seven to eight friendships. Then do I try and expand the friendship by inviting you somewhere new? And I think if you've tried that and people haven't taken you up on their offer, and generally the way I find that is people are very warm and thank you so much, but maybe they can't make it. And if you've tried two or three times and someone isn't reciprocating or saying, I'm really sorry, but I can do X date, mm-hmm. then I'd say move on, try yeah. and find someone else. You know, Because otherwise I think that becomes an even lonelier pathway if you're continually trying and you're not getting the uptake. Mm-hmm. So protect yourself that it's probably not about you. It's probably that they just don't have a need right now, which I think takes the sting or the hurt out of it and keep looking. So consistency, then once you've had your consistency, picking out who you might want to try with, trying to branch out and take that to a new circumstance. And then here comes the intimacy or the vulnerability or the being real. You're going to form friendships when you take it beyond surface chit chat. Mm -hmm. And I don't mean like you start confession 
Like you don't go in and you don't pour your life story out to someone. As soon as you're out on your first coffee date or your first walk or your first tennis, whatever it is, like that doesn't mean go in and share your entire life story with someone. It's got to be graded, right? But you've got to give something real. Because again, if someone meets up with you one, two, three times and all you get is service chit-chat, you're pretty unlikely to prioritize that relationship to invest in. Yeah, absolutely. It's very much like dating. (laughs) It is. As you were talking, I'm like, yeah, you can really just supplant everything you're saying onto romantic relationships and, and looking for a romantic partner. Because again, at the end of the day, it is who we are drawn to and we just want connections. And I think it is interesting to compare the relationship of a romantic partner and the relationship that you have with your platonic friends, because there definitely is something to be said about expecting too much from friends, right? Like in the same way that we can expect too much from our partner and want our partner to be everything for us, like this perfect person that fulfills our every need. I think that sometimes can be true of a friend, when we we want them to just be our everything and to connect on every level and for them to always be there for us or to kind of, yeah, to be this ideal human being, which is just not really practical or possible, in fact, or fair. So I was just wondering if you might speak to the idea of, again, not needing your one best friend to be everything to you. And it's okay to have different friends for different reasons, just like we can't expect our romantic partner to be everything for us. Yeah, well, it's interesting. And that's a super good point. I don't think we should ever expect everything from anyone. As you speak, I go to my wedding vows from when Patty and I got married. And part of my wedding vows to him was, I want you to still have a life outside of me. I don't want you to ever feel like you need to give your whole self to me because you are more than just me. And I think that's really important for all of us that we have to, our key relationships, be it romantic or platonic, are very important to us and how we feel and, and how we live. But we've got to let people have freedom and we've got to let people experience different things with different people. And so I suppose coming to friendships, you know, you may have some friends that absolutely provide you deep and meaningful conversations and you really love that. You may have some friends that are just a hell of a lot of fun and you laugh a lot and you have a great time with. You may have some friends that, you know, they're just really good at getting you moving or you meet up regularly and you exercise and maybe you don't have the deep, deep conversations, but they're consistent and they're loyal and you get something from each other. And so there's never a cookie cutter, one size fits all answer to anything with psychology or or life, I don't think. But I, I suppose the, the process I would go through is what are you wanting from your friendships? Like, what do you get from them? Why do you want them? You know, are you wanting that sense of belonging? Are you wanting people to go to the movies with? Are you wanting people that you can chat about politics to? Like, what is it for you that you're wanting out of your relationships? And I think diversifying is really important. One, because it takes the pressure off an individual friend because they will have their own life, you know, and they can't be your rule. It's not fair to expect that from them. And B, I think it just gives you a richness when you've got variety, yeah. multiple people in your life. Absolutely. A friendship, I mean, it's another really important relationship that we have in our lives, like we have with our romantic partners, like we have with our families, we have with our friends. But I think sometimes the friendships can seem like more of a kind of a gray area in terms of the 
rules and regs <laughs> around yeah. them because we can have so many different kinds of friends and kind of levels of friends and inner circles of friends and outer circles of friends, which again is fine. But as a result, sometimes I think the expectations of that relationship can be perhaps more opaque or unmatched even between the two members of it. And whereas we spend there's so much literature and movies and books research out there on romantic relationships and how to make them work, but there's far less on friendships. So almost like Antonia, like what if conflict pops up in friendship, right? What if you have an argument? What if you disagree on something? Well, if it's with your partner, whatever your attachment style is, which is another conversation, you would find a way probably to work through that because you are committed to each other. Or even if you don't manage to work through that, you're probably going through a process of trying because that is what we've been taught and that's what society says you do with the partner that you have committed to. And so, yeah, what happens if I have an argument, if I get hurt, if they offend me? I think that is grey for many people. I think unfortunately what tends to happen is people just ghost or people just stop communicating for a while. So rather than naming the conflict, naming the distress, raising that, I think all relationships require an ability to have tricky conversations, hard conversations, because the mm-hmm. conflict is there. But you, whether you have the conversation about it or not, both sides will be able to feel if there is tension in the relationship. But I think good friendships, solid relationships that last a significant period of time or are very meaningful, have an ability to raise the tough stuff, talk about the tough stuff, just like you do with your partner. I think so too. And I've definitely found in my friendships, I find it difficult to bring up conflicts and friendships far more difficult than I do with my partner because, again, the rules around and conventions around conflict within a relationship are so much clearer. So it actually feels like a far safer space for me to bring up something that I feel needs to be addressed. Whereas in a friendship, it does feel a lot scarier, I think, because, yeah, exactly what you said, the level of commitment is not the same. Like, I mean, I guess when we were younger, you might, you know, I gave my friend like a broken, you know, one of those heart, two halves of the heart. Best friends for life. Yeah, best friend thing. And, and you, or, you know, you pinky swear your best friends for life. And, you know, that's legit promises at the time. But generally in adult friendships, that's not what happens. And so it's just sort of this ongoing rolling idea of commitment. But that's actually, there's nothing keeping you together really other than you're still choosing to be friends. And I think that's a a scarier place to be vulnerable and to bring up things that are hard. But I've definitely found when I have that, you know, as long as it's done in in the right way and, and with love, that it has absolutely only helped the friendship as I'm saying this, I'm like, actually, no, not always. <laughs> I've, def- I've actually, I have also had experiences where I've brought something up and the friendship kind of has collapsed as a result. And that was really devastating at the time. But I think there was more going on there. But I think as a, as a general rule, if two people are committed to the relationship, i.e. to the friendship, and the conversation is is brought up with love and generosity, as opposed to a lot of kind of defensiveness or, you know, accusations, then it can be a real opportunity to be more real with each other, right? Like, like as you say, it's really easy. If two people are in any way connected to each other, you can tell if the, the other person's got something going on that they're not talking about. And oh my God, it just feels so much better once you've talked about it. Like I hate carrying around stuff. I feel like I wear it on my skin. Like it's like little a thousand pinpricks until I've actually got it out in the open and 
let the steam out. It feels so much better once you've talked about it. But I also think we need to be real that perhaps some friendships are there for certain periods of our life and they may not be there for our whole life. And those of you that know me know that I was raised by a psychologist and social worker. So, you know, my upbringing has been heavily embedded in relationships, mental health, well-being for the entirety of my life. And, you know, something that my mother has really drilled into me from a young age was people serve a reason. People are there for a reason in your life. And, you know, that may be a philosophical outlook rather than a science-based data-driven perspective. But I think sometimes that helps too. So if there's conflict, if there's tension, if you raise that in a really respectful, well-meaning way and the friendship fizzles or it's not taken well, you know, or you're not able to repair the friendship, was that relationship still the best for both of you at that time? Was it still a healthy friendship for you both? Was it still one that added nourishment and value and meaning to both of your lives? Or had that friendship run its course? And Mm. I think if two people are really committed to the friendship and the friendship is healthy for them, probably you'll find a way forward. I I think so as well. And even if the friendship is just there for a particular reason or season, it doesn't mean that it's not really, really sad if that friendship ends, but ultimately probably the right thing because you're going on different paths. And I think that is actually one of the, a big, big barrier to making new friends or even keeping old friends as an adult, because as you go through school and university, you're automatically having shared experiences with your friends. And then as soon as you go on your own paths, so many of those shared experiences just collapse and you go along relatively in unison with some of them. And then others, you just go on completely different life paths. And that's not to say that's like, a necessary fire extinguisher on the friendship, but it's a lot harder, isn't it, to keep up relationships with people who are in a very different stage of life. Now, this is a question that I put out on Instagram not long ago, which was, how do you find making friendships as adults? Or how are your friendships as adults? And I was overwhelmed by the response. And one of the big themes that came through were from women who either hadn't got married or who hadn't had children and watching their friendships or experiencing their friendships, you know, as perhaps the majority of their cohort went off and did those traditional life milestones in a certain order and how difficult they found that. And again, I don't think there was negative feelings towards their friends. I think they're happy for their friends, but their life is different. And I think that lack of shared experience, as you say, doesn't necessarily fizzle out or fire extinguish out the friendship but I think it probably does take you on a different path for a while and so that I, I think that then comes back to consistency so right if you're single or you don't have children or, or your time is not committed to many other places you've got capacity to meet up to do things for conversation you've got more space in your cup for friendships and so probably that is pretty disheartening or not fulfilling if You've got lots of space and, and the people that you were really good friends with don't have as much space at that time. Again, doesn't mean you're not important to those people. Doesn't mean they don't care about you deeply, but your needs may be different to theirs in this period of time. Yeah. Oh, such wise words, Jackie. So if we were to just summarize this conversation, it's really important to prioritize friendships, right? Like we can all too easily forget to do that. So if or feel like we don't have time to do that, or that just that it's not important, or that it's too hard because we feel too nervous, we can't fit it into our lives, whatever reason we tell us. But actually, it is so important to prioritize friendships. And if that is an area of your life where 
your perception is that you don't have enough friends or you don't have the deep friendships and you're craving, then it is something you should really look at and get on with as a priority. And I'd flip that. Do you want more? <laughs> is there room in your cup for more people? Are you wanting more depth? Are you craving more depth from the people around you? And if so, I really do believe it is within your power of control to shift and change that. And I'm not saying it won't be uncomfortable. It's damn uncomfortable. Like Antonia and I are real people just because she's a famous actress and I'm a psychologist. We are human beings. And, you know, we could both attest to the fact that it's uncomfortable, you know, saying, would you like to bring the kids around for a play date? Or would you like to go for a walk in the morning? You're putting yourself out there. And that's what I would call interpersonal risk. Interpersonal risk is scary. It's, you know, we have to go and fight beyond our human survival behaviours, which would say, shut up, Jackie, don't put yourself out there. You're better to be safe rather than take risk. But actually you have to weigh up, I think, short-term risk versus long-term risk or short-term gain versus long-term brain, which is, yeah, it's uncomfortable in this moment. But if I don't do this, potentially I'm going to feel lonely and isolated down the track. Versus, yeah, it's uncomfortable in this moment, but I'm going to push through that. And I've got the opportunity potentially to make some really good friends. And I think if you can like feel the uncomfortableness, name the uncomfortableness to yourself and choose to act through that, you are giving yourself the best opportunity to live a full life and a meaningful one. Yeah, that's so great. We all know the expression, feel the fear and do it anyway, which kind of seems to be sort of the crux of most things in life. Mm. But another way of looking at that that I heard once that really resonated for me was never let fear be the thing that stops you from doing what you want. Mm -hmm. So, you know, work out what you want. And if fear is the only thing that's in the way, then you can as much as possible just discount it and do it anyway. And when things are really important such as this, it's even more paramount to do so. Yeah. So my my final wrap up is don't go searching for the perfect friend. Just be committed to the process of making friends. Your expectation may be very different and I think the outcome much more satisfying. Beautifully put. Don't look for the perfect friend. Enjoy the process of making new friends and you'll have a great time. (laughs) Well, in the end. Maybe I can't fill in the middle, but I think the outcome will be worth it. The outcome will be worth it, yeah. That was What Matters Most for this week. Thank you so much for listening. If you did enjoy this week's episode, it would be great if you could rate, review and subscribe to this podcast as that helps let other people know that we're here. Thanks again. See you next time.